coming up in uh, a week from yesterday on the sad anniversary, an anniversary of 9-11. And it's interesting how memorable ev ev events tend to emblazon themselves on our, our minds and our hearts. Every one of us, my guess is that every one of us can remember where we were and what we were doing when we heard the news or we saw the TV reports coming from New York City at, at the events of 9-11 unfolding before our eyes. I had a professor in seminary who talked about this idea of, of memorable events kind of emblazoning themselves on our, our minds. He talked about remembering back to when he uh, was pulled over on the side of a road uh, when he and his friend were driving down the road on the interstate and cops pulled up behind him and pulled him over and before he knew it they had him on the back of the car cuffed and bent over the car and they had uh, mistaken them, he and his friend who looked evidently just like a couple of guys that had committed a crime in the area and it was a case of mistaken identity, thank goodness, but he said to this day you could sit him and his friend in two separate rooms and ask them to, des to describe those events and you would get almost the identical story all those years later because it was such a memorable event that it was something that was hard to forget. And he was using that as an example of how reliable the scriptures are for memorable events that were witnessed by disciples of Jesus calming the storm and feeding the 5,000 and, and of all those, those, those stories being passed down uh, in such great detail that, that all line up so well and, and have such unity that we can have that confidence in them because of the, uh, the, the, the significance of these memorable events. Well, the same is, is true of, of, of the stories that we're talking about today. If today, walking out back to your, your office or your home, you came face to face with the living God, the Creator God, and He spoke to you, revealing some of the mysteries of His kingdom, of how His rule works. And you had this, this sit-down meeting face-to-face -face with God. Chances are, that's something you wouldn't quickly forget. <laughs> it is something that would, would take the course of your life and change it forever, that you would look back on and remember all the details, all the depth, all the, the richness of it, because it, it would change your life. It's a, a meeting, an encounter with the living God. See, but here's the thing. Every time we open the Bible, God's Word, something potentially life-changing occurs. We come face-to-face -face with the living God, and He speaks to us, revealing some of the mysteries of how His, His kingdom works, His rule works. And so the question we face today in looking at His, at His Word is, do we remember it? Do we approach God's word that way? Do we leave having the course of our lives changed because the living God has spoken his truth, his word into our lives? That is the impact that these parables, these teachings of Jesus are supposed to have in us. Um, one author uh, says this about the parables. He says, they're unlike any other portion of scripture. Other portions give us grand theology. Other portions of Scripture move us to grateful response to God. He says, but parables break through mere words and make us, make us ask 
whether there's indeed been any real difference in our lives. And he says, isn't that what we should expect since the parables come from the lips of Jesus? No one was ever better than Jesus at getting through pretense to reality. That is especially so with the parables, but it's even more so with the specific parable we're looking at today. I don't know how many times I have studied in the past the parable of the sower and thought I knew exactly what was going on there because of the teachings I've had in the past. But studying it in a new and fresh way this time around, I continued to glean more things that I hope to share with you today that will be an encouragement to you. Let's read it. It actually goes through from verse 1 all the way down to verse 23, and then we'll, we'll see what, what the Word says to us today. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. When the disciples came, or then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that it says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown among the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. This is the introduction, the first of a series of parables where Jesus says, Hey, this is what the kingdom is like. This is how you understand uh, the, the, the in-between time between my first coming and when I come again to make things all, all new, all renewed, complete the work that I've started. I think there's at least three things that we see from this parable in particular, and they're all kind of different sides, different faces of, of this diamond of a parable. And the first is this, 
And this is something new that I had never seen as, as I studied this parable. The first is, this parable is a huge encouragement. And the encouragement is that there's going to be an abundant harvest. There's going to be an abundant harvest. You know, I've learned a lot over the years of the danger of unmet expectations. I've been doing a lot of premarital counseling in the last few months because for some reason this seems to be wedding time. A lot of couples are getting married in the summer and, and, and leading up to the fall. And, uh, and it's, been, it's been a joy to, to meet with these couples. But one of the things we talk about, probably as much as anything else, is we go through in detail, hey, what are your expectations? What, what should they be according to the scriptures? But even what are they in how you grew up? We talk about where do you plan to spend your holidays? You know, what, what is a typical evening going to look like as a couple? How much uh, time is good for guy time and girl time versus uh, together? Do you, are you going to be okay if he wants to watch all of the Georgia football game versus going shopping with you on Saturday? All those kind of like detail things. And not that we'll have to get it all figured out before a couple gets married for them to have a good marriage, but the point is to walk through some, some test cases and to say, hey, look, you've got different expectations coming into this. Let's, let's have some conversation. Let's talk about some of these things and get it out in the open so that you can have more realistic um, expectations as you enter things. My uh, five-year-old now, she just turned five, is the queen of unmet expectations. And something so small can set her off into a, uh, just a devastating cry um, because she had something built up so big in her little heart and mind, and then daddy didn't come through on whatever it was. And she was just devastated at this little thing that, that didn't happen. Well, the same thing is true when we come to an understanding of what is, what is God's kingdom supposed to be about? What are we supposed to expect this side of him coming again and completing the work that he started? Well, Matthew does a, it really is a genius job of setting up this parable of the sower and what comes before. In chapters 8 and 9, you see the healing ministry of Jesus. And at the end of chapter 9, Jesus, you see him teaching in the synagogues. And it says he's preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness. And then at that time he looks out at the crowd and he says he was grieved. He was moved to compassion because they lacked spiritual guidance. So he has compassion on them. He compares them to sheep without a shepherd. And he turns to the disciples and he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord to send out workers into the harvest field. And then he does just that. He sends them out to go to the lost sheep of Israel. But he says, as he sends them out, hey, I'm going to send you out. You know, I'm, I'm going to move my phase of teaching from just in the synagogue, and we're going to go out. But let me warn you, you're going to have persecution. You're going to have hardness of heart. You're going to have opposition all the way through. And in some cases, it'll even mean your death. And in chapter 11, you see that taking place with John the Baptist. There's a, There's a a rejection of his teaching and a questioning of who he is. You see him moving into chapter 11 of, of the woes to the cities who will not repent and receive his teaching. In chapter 12, you see that those who do the will of God are part of his kingdom. Those are his, his family, not his earthly brothers and sisters, but the family of God who, who hears his teaching and follows it. And so he's, he set the stage to say, hey, be ready, readers, to... To understand and have this expectation that as the word goes out, it's going to be rejected. 
And so at the end of this, this parable, when he says the, some soil hits the good ground and produces a hundredfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, it is like a thunder on the hearts of those who hear it of like, whoa, after all of that rejection, they still get a hundredfold and sixtyfold and thirtyfold. A typical harvest in those days was maybe tenfold. 30-fold or 60-fold was a bumper crop. You're going to have stuff to store up for years to come when there's famine. And 100-fold, that's a once-in-a-lifetime type of crop. So Matthew is setting them up. Jesus is setting them up to understand um, that, hey, amidst all this rejection and persecution and and hardness of heart, this harvest is going to be huge nonetheless. The kingdom of God will spread, and there will be a time of harvest. And the picture is of a farmer going out carrying his, his bag of seed. And he walks out into his field and he, and he casts it. And some of the seed, yes, a little bit over here falls onto the path. And he you know, expects the birds will pick it up. He doesn't stop, though. He keeps casting the seed. And he sees those, those thorns and those you know, leftover that will probably, when it comes springtime, grow up and choke them. But he keeps, keeps casting because he knows that some of the seed is going to fall on the good ground. And it's going to bear this fruit. So the farmer... He doesn't take notice as much of the kernels that he loses, the seeds that he loses. His hope is in the future, in the anticipation that's waited at the time of the harvest. Probably, the climax of this story surprised his listeners. Instead of a normal crop of tenfold, Jesus talks of a, a huge return. And so the point of the story, one of the main points, is of the abundant harvest that's coming. So the emphasis of the parable is the farmer's ups and downs and growing a crop. He may lose his crop, three parts of it, (laughs) but in the end, he's going to reap an abundant harvest. And so those of us that, which includes all of us, that are called to go out and spread the word of God should be aware, should have expectations that there will be hard hearts, there will be hostile responses, there will be failures among hearers. But we still go forth convinced that the power of God's word is the power of God's word. And it will come back and accomplish the work that it's supposed to do. And we will be ultimately astonished at what God does. The second thing we learn from this parable is we don't get just an encouragement, but we get an explanation. We get an explanation of what parables are all about. That, uh, and it basically is this. Receptive hearts are a gift of God. The focus is not necessarily on on the sower or on the seed. That's constant throughout. The the focus is on there's some hearts that receive it. And those receptive hearts are a gift of God. Right as he gets through giving this parable, the disciples ask him the question, why do you speak to them in parables? And the answer that he gives is, is somewhat unusual, somewhat unexpected. And what he basically says is the method is itself a message. The parable is a powerful method of teaching, but some some measure of of commitment is required in his hearers if they're really going to understand what a parable is saying. Um, Commitment to Jesus is the prerequisite for a true understanding of his teaching in parables. The truths of God's kingdom are not known to people in general. Only one can replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. And so... To be that good soil, you have to have the one who is the, the, the changer of hearts make your heart ready to understand it, is what he tells the disciples. And then he goes further and he says, 
when you actually use, when anyone uses the spiritual truth that, that he has, then it grows. Just like uh, our muscles grow only if we exercise them, and they slowly deteriorate if we don't exercise them. He's saying if you use that truth, if you exercise it, if you apply yourself to my teaching, then it will grow. It'll, you'll be given more. If you don't, it'll slowly be taken away from you. You'll lose it. He says others have become sluggish in their hearts, and so their minds are they have their minds made up already. They're set in their ways so that when they hear the word of God, even if it challenges them to a new thinking and a new way of living, they don't hear it or they interpret it according to their own meaning or application. You ever done that? You ever been so convinced that somebody said something or meant something that they totally didn't say or mean because you went in with your preconceived notion of what they were going to say or what they were going to mean? Uh, we do that a lot in, in, uh, in conversations. We don't really listen to people. We go in, oh, I know what you're going to say here. Let me prepare what I'm going to say in response to it. So we don't really hear them. He's saying, hey, spiritually, that can be the hearers of God's word. They, they come maybe every week to a worship service or, or a meeting and gathering. And they've already got it figured out. They're already set in their ways. They already know what their life's going to look like. So I'll evaluate the speaker, and maybe he did a good job. He was organized. I could follow his points, whatever else, but I'm not really going to change the way I live. I've already got things set up. I've already got things figured out in my life. He's saying that's, that's the tendency of people that don't have their heart pricked by the word of God, by, by the God who sends his word, who don't have their hearts changed and ready to hear it. And so the application is this. All over scripture, you read things like, the word of God is, is divisive. It kind of gets down to, to the root of what really matters. You see us called as the people of God as ambassadors, people that go bearing a message that if somebody receives, um, then they too can come under the rule of the good king. And if they don't, then one day they'll bow their knee, but it's not going to be in, in, in the good graces of the king. It'll be in judgment at that day. Or, you, as we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, you see Jesus himself calling his disciples to be fishers of men. And we've talked about in here that that phrase, fishers of men, in the Old Testament had the, the connotation of judgment. That just like uh, a fisher would, would bring in fish, he would keep some and he'd throw some back. Well, the ones he kept, it was not a good thing. <laughs> it was one that I mean, they were going to fry them things up. You know, they're going to eat them. It was judgment. It was that was kind of the context that was used in the Old Testament of fishers and men. So what, what he was saying when the disciples says, come follow me, I will give you a message to go out. For some, it will be a message of life, but for others, it will be a message of judgment, depending on how they respond, if they bow the knee to the right ruler, the, the king um, of the world. So our job, and this is the point, our job is to be faithful, to announce the rule of the king. He is the changer of hearts. And we're to be abundantly grateful that our own hearts have been changed and apply ourselves to exercise the truth that we've been given. The parable itself, that method of teaching does that. As Jesus uses parables, some apply themselves to it and see the spiritual truth because of their changed heart and they benefit and they grow because of that teaching. Others think they've already got it figured out and they hear it and it just bounces off of them. Oh, it was a nice little story and they go about their way unchanged and ultimately to judgment. So it's an encouragement for those that are, are giving, are sowing the word, saying, hey, there's going to be a harvest. It may not look like it. It may look like opposition and rejection right now, but there's going to be a harvest, and it's going to be plentiful. On the other hand, it's, it's an explanation 
that those who receive it are those that have their hearts changed by God. And so be grateful if that is you, if your heart is, is still tender and pricked to the things of God. And that leads us to the last thing. It's also an examination. It's also a warning and a qu- to, to cause us to question what is happening in my heart. What is happening in my heart? You see the, the soils, the first falls on hard places. And Jesus says, hey, those are the paths that run through the field. You know, in those days you had some roads, but you also had paths that would cut across fields in an agricultural society, what people would use. And those were hard and packed like a road. And he's saying, hey, listen, some of those seeds are going to fall on that path. Um, and this it's not so much hard as it is the, the word they're carrying the meaning of a careless heart. Um, it speaks of a, of a certain receptiveness. It says you, that they take the seed into their hearts, Jesus said. They, uh, it, it's, it's sown in our hearts, but so we're not hostile to the message. But even though we know there's something there of spiritual profit, we don't act on it. And so we soon find that it's lost, that the birds come and snatch it away. We, we lack a, a, a due sense of urgency. We fail to act, and the moment passes. And we know that in other areas of our life, that we'll get a piece of information, and it's, it's a, oh, man, I didn't realize that. And if we don't act on it now, what happens? That moment is gone, and we forget about it, and we, we, we don't even think about it again. And then, you know, months later, somebody says something like, oh, man, I missed out on that opportunity to, to, to cash in on whatever that was because I didn't act on it right then. Well, this, that's the picture here. It's, it's not so much a hostile heart as it is just a careless heart. I already thought I knew what he was going to say or, you know what, I had my focus on something else and I was just careless. I didn't act on it and so that it was removed. How many times do we walk into a church service or spend time in the Word and walk away unchanged just because we've, been, we've lacked the sense of urgency? We've lacked the sense of we're in the presence of Almighty God. He is speaking to me through His Word. This should change something about me it should contradict something about me it should cause me to examine my heart secondly you see some seed fall in shallow places this is the idea of a a thin layer of soil and underneath is just this bedrock we uh took a trip years ago in uh in a church i was at in greenville south carolina down to merida mexico and we were one of the challenges we had they said it's going to take you about a week to do this we want you to dig a hole for a uh, light post that's going to go over a basketball court. And we're thinking, we'll do that in an hour. What are you talking about doing it in a week? Well, we, we got the shovels and we started, and after about that much of digging, it was pure limestone, <laughs> pure rock under there. And so they had these big chisels that were heavy that you would just bang away on that thing. And you had to get it, you know, like four or five feet deep under that, chisel, chiseling that stone away. And it did. It took us all week of hard labor to get that one hole dug for them to put a, a light post up. Um, that's what he's saying here. Listen, things will, in that thin layer of soil, those seeds will be germinated, and it will shoot up and look like there's going to be a great plant, but there's a lack of root. It has no staying power. And he says there's going to inevitably be, for all believers, a time of testing, either through one of two things, afflictions. Something's going to happen in your life. And if, if, if you've got the shallow root, if it doesn't go deep, you're going to find yourself saying, why, why would a good God allow this to happen to me? I don't want a part of this. And the picture of this person is that when afflictions come, they get mad and they turn away. They're disillusioned and they want no part to do with this God who let this thing happen. Or the second thing is persecutions. You, you, you signed up for living for God. Yes, I, wanna, I want him to rule my life. But then persecutions come and you say, well, 
thought, wait, I didn't sign up for that. I thought it was supposed to be the abundant life, you know, over here. Well, wh- what about this stuff? Well, you know, I don't want a part of that. So there's a, some anger at God at, that it's like he didn't deliver on this product that he promised. He says it's a shallow place. That soil has no root or that seed has no root. The third blank is the thorny places, just competing for good seeds, uh, for sunshine and nutrients for the soil. He says it's possibly possible to be so taken up with the contemplation of the threats and opportunities of life that the word from God we receive and welcome doesn't get sufficient attention. This is a person who's sitting in there saying, this is truth, I need it, this applies to me. But they're also holding on to all of these cares and concerns of the world so that that, that word that they know they need just gets choked out. One author says it this way, and this is for some reason very profound for me when I was studying it this week. One life can hold only so many things. One life can hold only so many things. We've got the cares of this world. You've got school. You've got exams. You've got your business. You've got bills. You've got children. You've got house repairs. You've got three sick children with 102 fever, which I've had this week. You know, things that are the cares of this world that just just take your, your heart. And so you've got the Word of God coming in, but you've got so many other things competing for your attention. Or the second thing, you've got the deceitfulness of wealth, which is a subtle but seductive effect of luxury. I've got a house, but I need more bedroom. Or I've got this phone, but I need the newest iPhone or whatever it is. And so you're always subtly, you know, taken up with that next best thing, the, the deceitfulness of wealth. He's saying, listen, those things can compete and can take so much of your attention of worry that it chokes out the word. And in the last place, it's the good places that the seed falls on. And it, it has to do with our heads, our hearts, and our hands. It, that our heads are engaged in intelligent, appreciative contemplation and understanding. This word is the word of God. Let me see how I need to think rightly about this. Let me apply myself to understanding this hard saying that doesn't make sense to me initially. It invites our heart, encouraging and contradicting the tendencies of my heart, saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. Apply this word to my heart and, and, and change me. Uh, there's, if there's things in my heart that need to, to, to be different, then contradict them, challenge them, do your work in me, and encourage the things that I'm actually following hard after you in. And then it moves to our hands, it moves us to action, to a commitment because of what was heard. It, okay, I applied my head to it, I think I understand it, and I see how it should change the in, innermost parts of my heart, so now let me act differently because of it. And so the, the last thing that this parables do is not only encourages those of us that that scatter the seed that there's a harvest coming no matter what reception it looks like. And not only does it explain that receptive hearts are a gift from God and it causes us to be appreciative if, if our hearts are receptive at all, but it's also a chance to examine our own hearts, to say what is happening in our hearts. And that's where I'll leave us today is what is happening in your heart? Where, where are you in, in your response to the word of God? It, maybe it used to be some of, one of those things where it felt like I cannot wait to get under the teaching of God's word or to spend time personally with God's word because it's a meeting with the almighty God that should change me. This message today, this parable is saying, apply yourself to it. And the, the truth that you've been given, it will be given in abundance even more. Don't let it slowly slip away. Um, maybe God is 
breaking the hardness of your heart today. Maybe God is challenging the thorns that have grown up in your life that are competing for his work. Maybe God is, is saying, hey, your, your faith is shallow. You need to, to dig down. Let me break up that, that limestone, that rock that's underneath, and to make your heart a fertile place that can receive God's word and usher forth fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold. Um, that harvest is something that will be sweet to enjoy. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word, and we pray that it would do its work in us even today. Teach us in this series, in the next few weeks, as we look at the parables of your kingdom, what, what we can expect, what we should hope for, um, this side of you coming again and uh, making all things new. And, uh, and help us to apply ourselves to it with our minds. Uh, God, engage our hearts and change the things that are wrong at the root of, of who we are. And help that to issue forth in, in our hands, our, our commitments being different and bearing fruit for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.